are listening to a sermon from Sojourn Church in Fairfax, Virginia. We hope that this is an encouragement to you no matter where you find yourself on your spiritual journey. If you're not already, we would encourage you to connect to your local church. If you'd like to find out more about Sojourn in particular, please visit our website at sojournfairfax.com. May God bless you now as you listen to the preaching of his word. Good morning, brothers and sisters. It's good to gather with you virtually around God's word once again. It looks like this is going to be our reality for a little while now, uh, but I'm grateful for just the means of grace we have just with technology. Uh, Scott Cooper is helping us put videos together uh, to be able to, to still spend time together, even though we can't be physically together, that we can open up God's word and just continue to pursue Jesus together. I, I know this may feel a little bit strange, a little bit weird that you're sitting and watching a sermon from your house right now, and that's okay that it feels weird. I hope maybe part of the silver lining out of some of this uh, difficulty that we're walking through right now is that it makes us more thankful when we can gather together and that we would look forward to and long for the time when we'll be able to be with one another again on a Sunday morning, uh, continuing just to, to pursue Christ together. So if it feels a little bit weird, a little bit strange right now, that's okay. This isn't meant to be a replacement for Sunday morning as it normally would go, uh, but we can still be encouraged by being in God's word together now. So I hope this morning will be encouraging to you. Um, And with that, let's just go ahead and pray uh, and ask God to bless our time in his words. Would you pray with me? Father God, we give you thanks uh, again that that we have life and breath this morning, that we can open up your word and we can continue to pursue Christ and and seek to see Jesus through your word this morning. And so I pray for us as a church, as we continue to be scattered around Fairfax, as we're learning in in this new reality, walking in this new reality of what life looks like right now for us, uh, both as a community, uh, as a church, but also just as individuals, as families. God, would you give us wisdom? Would you give us guidance in how we should do that? And I pray that even as we open up your word now in our homes, that you would allow there to be some sense of normalcy uh, as we open up your word, as we pursue Jesus together. And God, I pray that you'd fill us with your spirit, that you'd help us to be attentive to what you want to say to us today and help us uh, to be a light and to provide hope for our neighbors as we seek to make much of Christ in the way that we can right now in this Uh, this place that we find ourselves in, in our country, in our world. So we give this time to you now. We pray that you'd be honored by it. We pray you'd be glorified, and we pray you'd draw us closer to you uh, as we open up your word now. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. You know, I mentioned a few weeks ago that uh, that Amy and I uh, met in college, and we are about to celebrate 17 years of marriage coming up in June. And so we we dated all through college, and then we got married right after Amy graduated. Uh, and so on our wedding day, uh, we didn't see each other before our our wedding, and so. I got up front at the beginning of the ceremony in the church we were getting married in and, and knew, oh man, this is about to happen. She's about to walk down the aisle. And so kind of excited, kind of nervous, all mixed together. And so after all the wedding party, walked down the aisle and the music changed, I knew, oh man, it's about to happen. She's about to come out of those doors. Now, the church we got married in had a center aisle, but didn't have uh, doors that were in the center. And so the doors were kind of on the side. And so she would walk in these doors, then make a turn to come down the aisle. So when the music changed and she came in, everybody stood up as they normally do. And so I couldn't actually see her walk out of the doors until she made that turn. And when she made that turn, there she was right in front of me. And I began to cry tears of joy. But Amy, uh, she wasn't looking at me. She was looking at everybody else that was looking at her. In that moment, she got distracted and and was kind of overwhelmed by all these people that are watching her walk down the aisle. And if you hear her tell the story, she would say it was, a little bit way, a little ways down the aisle, she realized, oh, wait a minute, Justin, I need to look to him. And so she looked at me and smiled and we had a great 
wedding ceremony. Now it's a, a funny story, right? That, that on her wedding day, she walks down the aisle, isn't looking at the man she's about to marry, but is looking at all the people around her. And I did ask her if I could share that story with you, not to embarrass her. So we still laugh about it some 17 years later. But you know, there is something about our, in our life, the reality for our life, that sometimes we can miss what is right in front of us. We can get distracted, uh, we can get pulled away from and miss what happens to be right in front of us. Well, today we're going to jump back into John 4 and finish up chapter 4 in the Gospel of John. And we're going to see that there's another group of people that encounter Christ. Another group of people that have this encounter with Jesus. And, and when they see Jesus, they don't really see him. They see him in front of him, but they don't really see who he is. And we can all learn something from this as it relates to just our own life and our own pursuit of Christ as we seek to see Jesus. And as always, we'll learn something more about who Christ is. And so my hope for all of us this morning, no matter where you find yourself on your spiritual journey, no matter what's going on in your life right now, no matter what happens to be going on in our world right now, my hope for all of us this morning is that we will see Jesus more clearly and that as we see Jesus more clearly, we'll be able to say, as the old hymn goes, take the world, but give me Jesus. Take the world, but give me Jesus. So with that, let's dive into John 4 this morning, and may we see Jesus more clearly today. We pick up where we left off last week in John chapter 4, starting in verse 43. So let me read our text for us this morning. John writes this, After the two days he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an, an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. And he was going as he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Where we start today is just kind of another transition within this story that the Apostle John is, is writing this story. The, the Gospel of John is relating Jesus's life and Jesus's ministry. And the, the purpose of this Gospel that John has told us is that, that we might believe, that we might see Jesus and know him fully, know him rightly, so that we might follow him and live our life with him and for him. And so he's telling this story about Jesus's life and he comes to this point in the story in the midst of transition. What we just saw last week is that Jesus has spent time with the Samaritans and they've made this proclamation about who Jesus is. Look back at verse 42. It says this, they, meaning the Samaritans, said to the woman, is no longer because of what you said that we believe for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the savior of the world. And so Jesus has had this interaction with the Samaritans. Remember, Jesus 
is passing from Jerusalem, walking to Galilee. And so he's walking through Samaria and he has this encounter with the woman at the well and he, he offers her living water. He offers her, offers her himself that he might be the one that would satisfy her and give her real life, eternal life, lasting life in and through him. And this woman comes to see who Jesus really is and she runs back to the town, the place where people had shamed her and shunned her for her sin that she had sought to avoid. And she goes and she says to them, come and, and see this man who's told me everything that I ever did. And the Samaritans come out and they place their faith in Jesus as well based off the woman's testimony and the very words of Jesus. And so it's at that point that John tells us in verses 43 and 44, after the two days, these two days that Jesus had spent with the Samaritans in their village, he departed for Galilee. He continued on his journey. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So this is a transitional statement John's making, but it sounds a little bit confusing. He's left the Samaritan village. He's continued on to Galilee. And then John adds kind of an aside comment. He makes this comment that a prophet is not welcomed or honored in his hometown. And Jesus is going to the place where his hometown is in this area of Galilee. And so we would think that what John's going to show us in this next story is that, John, that Jesus isn't honored, that he isn't welcomed. But instead, he says, verse 45, so when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. What's going on here? John's just said a prophet's not welcomed in his hometown, and then he says, well, Jesus was welcomed. Well, John's being ironical here. He's setting up a scene for us, and he's drawing us in to show us how, though it appears the Galileans are welcoming Jesus, though it appears that they're giving him honor, the reality is they're acceptance of Jesus really is, in a way, a rejection of who Jesus really is. They gave him a sort of honor, but it wasn't the honor that was truly due to him and for him. And that's what we want to spend our time digging into this morning. Look at verses 46 and 47. It says, So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus comes back to Cana. This is the same place where we saw in John chapter 2 where he does his first sign and he turns water into wine. He takes on the, the shame of the bridegroom and the bride who have run out of food, have run out of wa uh, wine for their wedding party, and he provides that wine for them. So he comes back to that same place. But at this point, news of Jesus has started to spread. People that were at that wedding have started maybe to share that information. They've seen him do different things in Jerusalem. They've heard about who Jesus is. They're starting to hear about the things that Jesus has done. And so John here points out the water into wine miracle because he's kind of bringing this story full circle for us as the readers. He's showing us that something else extraordinary is about to happen in this same place but not just the miracle that's going to happen, but the display of humanity that's going to be shown to us. This official in Capernaum hears about Jesus. And Capernaum isn't too far away from Cana. It's about 20 miles away. And so this man hears about Jesus and he hears that Jesus is close by and he needs Jesus. John tells us that he has a son who's deathly ill and he believes that Jesus can heal him because he's heard about who Jesus is. But what this man doesn't realize is that, that, is that that's not all that he needs from Jesus. 
So he comes to Jesus and he pleads for Jesus, like, Jesus, come with me. Come back to my house. Come back on this journey of 20 miles back to my home because my son needs healing. And I believe that you can bring this healing so that he won't die. Now, we can read this and think this sounds like a reasonable request, right? We, we can go to Jesus. We can ask him to bring healing. We can ask him to do things in our life. And so this seems like a very reasonable request. In fact, Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 7 in the Sermon on the Mount, he tells us this, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you? If his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone. For he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So Jesus is saying we should ask God to do these kinds of things. We should ask him to bring healing. We should ask him to do a work in our life for the sake of our family or our friends. And that seems to be what this man is doing here which makes what Jesus says to the man seem even a little bit odd or, or out of place, maybe even out of character. Look at verse 48. This is how Jesus responds to the man in request for him to heal his son. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. This is a rebuke. Jesus is not just rebuking the man, though. He's rebuking the community of the people that are around Jesus and the man at this time, the same people who in verse 45, John says, welcomed Jesus. See, the you in verse 48 is plural. So let's look at it again. So Jesus said to them, unless you, you all, see signs and wonders, then you all will not believe. Now, what's Jesus saying? What's he trying to get at here? He isn't saying that signs and miracles are negative. We see that signs and miracles throughout Jesus's ministry actually are used to bring people to faith. So he isn't saying that those are are bad in and of themselves. But the reality is, is that we all, the people in the story and us ourselves, have a tendency to get focused on the sign, to get focused on the miracle and miss who that sign points to. That's what's going on here. See, what Jesus is saying to the Galileans is unless you have a sign, unless you have a miracle, you won't believe. It's only if you have this that you're going to believe. And we have to remember that this comes immediately after we've seen the Samaritans believe. The Samaritans believe because of the testimony of the woman and because of Jesus's words. They didn't need a sign. They didn't need a miracle in order to have real faith in who Christ is. But it seems that the Jews of Jesus's own hometown, his own home area, can't believe unless Jesus does this kind of miracle. See, the people of Galilee, they welcomed Jesus, not because they saw him as the promised prophet, not because they saw him as the king of kings or the savior of the world. They were looking for the spectacular. And they sought Jesus out only because they were looking for the sensational to take place, not because they genuinely loved Jesus. See, they wanted rock star Jesus who would put on a show for them, who would wow them with his power, who would wow them with his authority over creation. They weren't seeking Jesus. And the official is an example of this. He seems to be approaching Jesus out of desperation of need, but with little thought of who Jesus really is. He heard Jesus could do miracles and he has a a real physical need in his family. His son is deathly ill. And so he goes to Jesus, but in going to him, he misses who is right in front of him. Jesus rebukes the people 
And in turn, he rebukes the official. But it actually seems like the man either ignores the rebuke that Jesus gives or doesn't give it much thought because he keeps pressing Jesus to come with him to heal his son. Look at verse 49. After Jesus has given this rebuke, the man says, the, the official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. In this moment, he's, he's just living out what Jesus has just told him and rebuked him for. Like, you only want signs and miracles. You don't really want me. And he just says, no, I need you to come with me. Come and heal my son. Now, I don't know, for those of you that have kids, maybe you've experienced this reality with your kids. I know I have. When, when I sit down and try to teach my kids something or tell my kids something, maybe to do or not to do, and they walk away and immediately do the opposite of that. This is kind of what's going on with this man. He's doing the opposite of what Jesus has just called him out on. And he, along with the people, are still looking for action from Jesus. They're not looking for Jesus. But Jesus, displaying his consistent and gracious and glorious character, is patient with the man. He, he's patient with him and he's kind, even generous to him in the face of a lack of faith in him, a lack of faith in Jesus so he responds to the man, but not in the ways that would be normally expected by anyone. See, the Jews want a sign. These Galileans, they want a sign from Jesus. And as the reader, we might be thinking, well, after he's given this strong rebuke, Jesus isn't going to do anything that the man is asking for him to do. But Jesus often does things in unexpected ways. He doesn't go with the man. He, he doesn't rush off to his home. He doesn't do a sign in front of this group of people that, that want him to do a sign. Now, Jesus draws a line in the sand, a line in the sand, not to frustrate the man, but to lead him to a place of genuine faith in who Jesus actually is. Look at verse 50. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. Go and he will live. All the man can do at this point is trust in Jesus and his words. He doesn't know. Jesus says, I'm not going to go with you, but you need to go back home and trust that your son will live. This is pretty amazing. This man has been throwing kind of a, an adult version of a, of a fit. He's, he's begging Jesus. He's pleading with Jesus. He's imploring Jesus with this real need that he has for healing for his son. He's looking for Jesus to kind of be a genie in the bottle for him and his family, to hook him up, to make his family well, but not to get Jesus. But then in this moment, John says that he believes the word that Jesus spoke and he went on his way. He doesn't put up a fight. He doesn't keep pleading with Jesus. He doesn't keep imploring him to come or begging him to go with him. Maybe it's something in, in how Jesus speaks to him or the moment that Jesus really looks at the man in his eyes and says these words to him. He does something, but in that moment, something changes for the man. He, he begins to have a spark of genuine faith in Jesus, not just what Jesus can do for him. So he relents and he goes. He trusts that what Jesus has said will be because of who Jesus is. Then look at verses 51 through 54. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that, this, that that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live, and he himself believed in all of his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. His son's healed. 
I mean, this is matchless mercy that, that Jesus gives. It's amazing grace that he pours out on this man and his family. And I love the specificity of the man and his questioning, right? He says, wait, wait, I need to know exactly what time this took place. I need to tell me, I need you to tell me when this took place because this man isn't looking to chalk this up to coincidence. Coincidence. He's looking to, to put it on providence. He, he knows in that moment, Jesus did this work. It's he, his doing and his alone. See, this man had known enough about Jesus to this point to come to him and see him as a wonder worker. But now he sees beyond that. Jesus isn't just able to do these kinds of things. He is the giver of life, of real life, lasting life, eternal life. The Son of God has come and he's unveiling his kingdom before us. And it's in and through this sign in this man's life that he came to see Jesus for who he is, he and his family. I mean, you can imagine this man coming back home, arriving home, seeing his son who was at the point of death with this high fever and this sickness now doing well and him coming and telling just like the Samaritan woman, you're never going to believe this. I went to Christ. I went to this man, Jesus, and I asked him to heal you, but he did so much more than that. He showed me he is the promised one, the redeemer, the Messiah, the one we've been longing for. And he believed and his family believed also. John says this is the second sign that Jesus has done. It's not the second sign overall, but the second sign that he's done in this particular place. And I think it's interesting. Just like when he turned water into wine, only a a small group of people know what's actually taken place. All the Galileans don't necessarily know. Did the boy actually get healed? They just hear Jesus' words, go and he will live. Just like people at the wedding didn't know who had actually provided the wine. See, Jesus reveals himself in a small way to a small group of people. He isn't flashy in his revealing of himself. No, Jesus is surgical and specific in his care of people. See, in real desperation, this man went not really looking for Jesus for who he is to get Jesus, but he was looking for Jesus so that he might get something from him. But you know what? Jesus was looking to give himself to the man. He was looking to give himself to the man. And it's in that moment that genuine faith begins to grow. But you know what? Isn't it true that in our own lives, that it's often in moments of desperation, often in moments of desperation in our own life, that God is most acutely at work in our lives? Why is that the case? Perhaps it's because in times of personal difficulty or desperation or or global difficulty and desperation, like we're experiencing right now around the world and in our country, that we're confronted with the stark reality of our, the posture of our hearts, the posture of our lives, that more often than we'd like to admit, even as followers of Jesus, that in the day-to-day of our life, our real hope for life isn't found in, isn't rooted in King Jesus. It's actually rooted in the relative security and the relative comfort and the relative certainty that all of us have as North Americans and can afford for our life, even when things aren't maybe going perfectly for us, that our real hope is the fact that most of us have security, most of us have comfort, most of us have some level of certainty. But when things begin to shake in our lives, and and the world around us starts to crumble a bit, and things like security, and things like comfort, and things like certainty are stripped away from us, we start to see them for what they really are. These are false saviors. False saviors that don't give satisfaction, that don't give life to us, that don't stand, that will not save us. 
But friends, it's in those moments when all of those things begin to be stripped away. Maybe for some of you right now that are experiencing that uncertainty, experiencing those things being taken away from you, it's in those moments that if we will just look, that we can actually fix our eyes and see the one who is security, the one who is certainty, the one who is comfort, the one who's offering us himself, the eternal son of God who took on flesh and entered into humanity, not just to hang out, but to redeem and to restore and to resurrect. The one who went and put himself in a place of being a substitute for us, dying a death that we deserve to die, taking on all of our sin and all of our shame on the cross so that we might be reconciled to God. See, things like the sickness in this official son's life or things like the coronavirus or cancer or conflict, any of those things that we experience in our life is a result of sin entering into the world through the rebellion of our first parents when Adam and Eve turned away from God to go their own way, trying to be God instead of trusting in Him, being satisfied with what God could give to them instead of being satisfied with their relationship with Him. And their rebellion, it fractured creation and it fractured you down to the core of who you are as a human being. But it's not out of control. All of this is under God's providential control, even if we don't exactly know why these things are taking place in our life. See, all of these difficulties that we experience, all of these struggles we experience now or in the future, all of it is a result of rebellion. A rebellion that caused the natural world to go rogue and our flesh to rebel against God. But it's a rebellion that Jesus has conquered on the cross and through this resurrection. A rebellion that he has conquered and one day will wipe away the effects of all of it when he comes again to make all things new. A day when there'll be no more sickness no more sadness, no more sin, no more uncertainty in your life, no more death. Now, there are a lot of things going on in our world right now, a lot of challenges that we're experiencing as a global community. But I also know that there's a lot of things going on in your life right now, a lot of challenging things happening to you, maybe that are related to the coronavirus, that you're experiencing uncertainty, that you're worried about your job or your finances, rightly so. Or maybe there's other things that are completely unrelated to that, that you're experiencing challenge in your life right now. And if you're a follower of Jesus, I know that you know, at least intellectually, that when you're feeling need, you know that you're to run to Jesus, to find your help in time of need from him. But my guess is that you can relate to this man. You can relate to these people that Jesus rebukes, that you too can struggle to only want Jesus for what he can do for you instead of just wanting him. But see, if you only want Jesus for what he can give to you or what he can do for you, and and listen, I'm not saying that you shouldn't go to Jesus to ask him to bring healing, to ask him to help you in time of need. But if you only go to him to get those things that he can give to you instead of getting him, and he doesn't give those things to you, then you'll be tempted, you'll be led, just like I often am, to then search out answers, search out solutions, find my hope in something else besides him. And I forget in those moments, I forget about our God's kind providence. I forget and, and discard his, his rock-solid sovereignty. I forget his unchanging character, and I have to go grab after other things to meet my needs. Now, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't pursue medical care if you're in need of, of medical care. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't pursue other gifts of common grace that God has given to us in our world. It just means you don't look to them to be your Savior. Because if you only want Jesus for what he can give to you, if you only want him for what he can give to you, you miss the greatest gift that he's already given to you, himself, to overcome the greatest need that any of us have, our sin. 
Listen, whether you're dealing with the coronavirus and its effects in your life right now, whether you're dealing with other personal issues or crisis in your life or in the future, you do not and cannot muscle up on your own. You don't need to be strong on your own. In the upside down, inverted kingdom of Jesus, his power is made perfect in your weakness. His grace is sufficient for you. So may you come to him and may he calm and quiet your soul before, before him as you sit at his feet. So let me ask you a question. How will you respond today? How will you respond tomorrow when difficulty and desperation rises up within you? Will you look to Jesus for the benefits that he can give to you? Or will you look to him for him? Will your cry of desperation be, give me Jesus' power or give me Jesus? The old hymn that I mentioned at the beginning, written by Fanny Crosby called, Take the World But Give Me Jesus. She writes this in this hymn. Listen to these lyrics, these words. Take the world, but give me Jesus. All its joys are but a name, but his love abideth ever through eternal years the same. Take the world, but give me Jesus, sweetest comfort of my soul. With my Savior watching over me, I can sing though billows roll. Take the world, but give me Jesus. Let me view his constant smile. Then throughout this life's long journey, he will lead me all the while. Take the world, but give me Jesus. In his cross, my trust shall be till with clearer, brighter vision, face to face, my Lord, I see. Friends, one day the fullness of the kingdom of God will come. One day shalom will be restored and we will see our Savior face to face. To that we can say, amen. Come Lord Jesus, come so that we can get you. Brothers and sisters, now is a time when we normally would take communion. As I've been thinking about this week, I long to take communion with you again. I long just that simple step of us right now getting up out of our seats and walking forward to take the bread and take the cup, to have one of you speak over me what my Savior, what my Redeemer has done for me, that his body was broken for me, that his blood was shed for me. And right now we're not able to do that. We're left longing this morning for the time when we will be able to do that. And that's okay. So in your longing, though, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to take time alone or with the people that you're, you're gathered with, your, your, your family or whoever else is at your home right now, just to take time to pray and process through the questions I've thrown out. Do you want Jesus for what he can do for you? Or do you want him, just more of him personally, to have that relationship with him? Maybe for some of you, you're, you're realizing this morning that you've never truly come to Jesus just to get more of him, that you've had this idea of a relationship with Jesus, a perception of him for what he can do for you. And if that's true for you, just take some time this morning to confess that to God. Begin a real relationship with Jesus now, the one who lived and died and rose again for you. No matter where you find yourself on your spiritual journey, may our cry this morning be, give me Jesus. I want more of Jesus. And I encourage you then to respond. Respond in worship. You can use the rest of the songs on our playlist this morning. Respond with reading the benediction aloud or how whatever worship looks like for you today. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks just for the opportunity to open up your word. We give you thanks for the, the gift it's been to be confronted with a temptation that all of us can have, that, that we want Jesus for what he can do for us, but sometimes we don't want Jesus just for the sake of him, to have more of him. So God, I pray that we would recognize that in our own life, that we wouldn't be like the man 
who just wants Jesus for what he can do for him, but would be the man after the fact and see that, man, we just want more of Christ in our life. God, would you awaken our hearts to that? May we be able to truly, honestly, genuinely say, take the world, but give me Jesus. Even now, as we maybe sing this hymn in our privacy of our own homes, God, would you just draw our hearts closer to you? Help us to fix our eyes on Christ. Give us a rock solid hope and trust in the sovereignty of God, the sovereignty that you've placed in our life, your providence, that even though things are uncertain, even though things are difficult right now, that we could trust in who Christ is and sit at his feet and worship you and worship you alone. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for rescuing us and redeeming us and restoring us. And we long for the day when Jesus will come again to make all things new. And we pray all this in his name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this sermon from Sojourn Fairfax. If you have any questions, please feel free to email us at info at sojournfairfax.com. Go in peace.